this summer we want to see Jesus so that he can change us with his grace. And today, we're going to be meeting with him at a wedding ceremony. And we'll see how he teaches us there, how he loves us, and how we're called to love others. Uh, Before we go to that wedding, try to use your imagination for a moment and picture this group here sitting together with Jesus as he teaches in person. Imagine that you've been following along with him and this is the very last day that he's going to be giving his lessons and then he says this to all of us gathered together. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. What does it feel like to you to imagine Jesus saying this? Now pay attention to your heart for a moment. What does it feel like to hear him telling you that this is his new commandment, that you love others? When I imagine it, I feel thankful that Jesus gives such a clear and simple direction to me. I also feel gratitude that when he chooses to sum everything up, he chooses to tell me that I'm called to love others because that makes me feel thankful when I imagine that. It also causes me a bit of surprise when I consider the implications in his command. Look again at the way I'm called to love. Just as I have loved you. The implication there is that all along, Jesus has been loving me. Now imagine we were together, listening to this lesson from Jesus, when it strikes us all at once, that not just here and there, but all along, everything that's happened as as long as we've been with Jesus is another example of his love for us when he invited us to be disciples of his, that was his love for us. When he believed in us and trusted us with his work, that was his love for us. When he was patient with us, when he gave us another chance, when he bore with us, when we didn't get it, all of that, every little bit of it, was his love for us. All along, Jesus has been loving us. Now, if we were a part of that original group, I suspect that we would begin to wonder, how then should we love others if Jesus has been the model for us all along? What does it look like? And then all we would have to do is use our memories and go back to the way that he was with people and there we would find the pattern for how we are supposed to be with others. I, I, I picture one of us saying, let's think back to the early days to when this all got started. Does anyone remember the first time he did something miraculous and we were there? Uh, Maybe someone would say, yes, I I remember it was at the wedding with the water and the wine. You know that story? If we could see what he was doing there, that would give us a picture of how we 
have been loved by him and how we are called to love others. And that's all we have to concern ourselves with. Receiving the love that Jesus has given to us and then passing it along to others. At least that's what he says in his new commandment. This morning, we're going to go to that wedding and we're going to keep our eyes open for those two, for those two things. How, how does Jesus show us here what love looks like for us, the love that he has for us, and how does that love teach us how we are meant to love others? The story is told in the second chapter of John. As I read, do your very best to envision yourself there in the action. Here's John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Now, Cana is a small farming village. This is a big wedding. Everyone's there from Cana and from the surrounding region as well. Jesus and all of his disciples have been invited Jesus' mom is there too. Everyone they grew up with is in the same place for this wonderful celebration, which is perfect in every way until it's not. Watch. This is verse 3. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Someone made a major mistake, and the bad news is spreading. There's no more wine. In the first century, when you run out of wine, the party ends. You cannot run to the local liquor store. In order to get wine, you have to draw up a contract with the local producers a year in advance. This is a crisis for the party. Now look at how Jesus responds to his mom in verse 4. And Jesus said to her, Woman, Uh, You know something's wrong when a son calls his mom woman. What concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Whenever mothers and sons talk, there is always more exchanged than the words themselves say. Mary is not just telling Jesus about the wine because she thinks he doesn't know or she needs to pass along information. She wants Jesus to fix the problem. She knows that he can help. She is his mom. Maybe when she was cooking fish one day for the family when Jesus was a child, she ran out of cooking wine. Poof, he fixed the problem then. Why not now? Jesus does not want to let out his identity too soon. He has a few more years until that is fitting. And so he tells her, not yet. He doesn't want to attract too much attention. But look again at the question he asks her when she first points out the problem. What concern is that to you and to me? Think about what that means. That is not our concern. He's saying, Uh, why should we get involved? It's a perfectly reasonable question to ask because they are guests at the party and guests don't provide the drinks. The person who made the mistake should suffer the consequences of the mistake. In the first century, 
the provisions for the wedding ceremony were actually the groom's responsibility. He was supposed to provide for the food and manage all of the details of the party, including the wine, and that was probably the most important part for the celebration. And here, a failure like this would reflect poorly on him in front of everybody he knows and everybody he cares about, especially his new wife and his family. This blunder means a lifetime of shame for him, a mistake that he will never recover from. And now, here's where Jesus' heart which loves everyone, gets engaged. Even though, strictly speaking, it is no concern of his or anyone else there, Mary can see that there is a look in her son's face that says, I'm going to get involved and help. I'm not going to let this guy sink because of the mistake that he made. Uh, that look is exchanged, and, and watch what John says next. This is verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She could tell that there was a change of heart there, and now Jesus goes into action to address the problem. Listen carefully, because this is the first picture that they receive and we receive about what love looks like. Jesus did not cause the problem but he is going to make it his concern nonetheless because one man's well-being depends on it and Jesus' love takes responsibility for problems that it did not cause. I dwell on that for a moment. Those disciples at that first wedding and, 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 and this group of disciples here, if we'll envision ourselves there with them, receive a picture here of what it looks like to love the way Jesus loved. A picture of how Jesus loves all people, and listen now, how Jesus loves us too. And that shows us how we are meant to love others. Let's take our time. Jesus chooses to make our failures his concern. That's love. Even though he could reasonably say, not my concern, not my fault, not my problem. He chooses instead to get involved to make things right. Love takes that kind of responsibility for others. Theologically, we might say this is the heart of the doctrine of the atonement. Jesus' decision to offer himself as the sacrifice that takes away my sin is his decision to take responsibility for a problem that he did not cause. In John's Gospel, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by offering himself for the guilty, taking responsibility for their failures, Jesus saves. That's how he does it. Even though he could have said, what concern is their sin to me? He does not say that. Instead, he came to offer his life as a ransom for those who caused their own imprisonment. Jesus' love takes responsibility for our sin. Do you see it? Now, beside that theological perspective, we can set the practical perspective. And this also matters for us. Practically speaking, this kind of love means that his concern for our troubles leads him always to want to get involved in every one of them to help us. Now make this personal. Consider your own troubles for a moment. No matter what crisis you face, 
uh, especially the ones that you cause. Jesus is waiting to use his power to fix your troubles. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's what the Bible tells us. So his love can come and help fix the problems we face, even the ones that no one would uh, mistake for anyone else's responsibility, but only ours. Now here, let this be personal. Maybe you're bad at managing your time. You stay up too late and you never get to the Bible and to praying in the morning like you wish. And so, every day you feel down. You're less effective as a father and as a husband and you feel miserable about yourself. And your problem is Jesus' concern because Jesus loves you. That's what we learn from this story. Or for some reason, you cannot handle your emotions these days. You're fighting depression, you're losing the fight, and you feel all alone. Jesus chooses to make this problem of yours his concern. He cares about everything that's happening in your heart because he loves you. He will not say, what concern is that of mine? Uh, You deserved that promotion. They gave it to someone who didn't. And now you're bitter, but you're also stuck because you don't know how to find a different job and it's eating you up inside. Or she turned away from you even as you try to turn toward her and she will not receive your love and it's, it's rejection again and you just can't manage it. Or you don't know how to work with your children as they get older, you have less and less control and it's driving you insane or you're so lonely yet again and everywhere around you there are people who have others to love and it's just you whatever it is every single one of them matters to jesus because love chooses to take responsibility for problems that it strictly speaking has nothing to do with that's the kind of love we see from jesus no matter what your trouble is no matter where your heart is breaking uh, jesus heart is also breaking because he chooses to let your concerns be his concerns that's what love is now Receiving Jesus' love is simple. And and we learn this in the story as well. It simply means, first of all, welcoming him into your problems. Not trying to manage them without him. Giving up on being independent and self-sufficient. Simply saying, I trust that he is concerned for me and I'll let him be concerned for me. I'll open myself to his involvement. And then, this is beautiful, to receive his help, all you need to do is follow the advice that his mother gave to the servants, which is do whatever he tells you. That's it. His mom was very, very wise. Do whatever he tells you. Uh, So what does Jesus tell me? Listen, remember that place we started at where we were sitting there and hearing Jesus' last lesson. Love one another as I have loved you. There's a good start. I'm called to love others in the way that Jesus loved me. That's where I'm supposed to begin. We are responsible, according to Jesus, as soon as we receive his love, for loving others in the way that he's loved us. And that means, as we learn here, using the power that we have to take responsibility however we are able to for fixing the troubles that others are struggling with. That's what love does. Now, if we come back to the wedding and back to the action here in the story, there's something about how Jesus addresses this problem that demonstrates a second distinctive characteristic of genuine love. And this should shape the way we approach getting involved in the problems that we feel God calling us to address. Look at verse 6. This is how Jesus does it. 
Now, standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now, Jesus reached out to the servants who were there at the celebration and got them involved. These are the caterers who'd been invited to the reception. He has them get around 150 gallons of water into these jars, and he does this quietly so only the waiters, Jesus' disciples, and Jesus' mom know what's happening at this point. He does this in a way that none of the guests at the wedding see what's going on. Watch what happens next, verse 8. He said to them, that is to the servants, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. The chief steward is like the wedding coordinator, the one who's managing the chaos. You can imagine that he is freaking out, trying to find some strategy for minimizing the damage of this disaster. And then here come the servants with a few glasses filled up. And then watch what happens. Verse 9. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus turned the water into good wine without taking credit for it. He did this so the bridegroom looks like the most generous guy ever in front of everyone he knows instead of looking like a shame and a failure in front of everyone he knows. Jesus loved him by using his power to fix his problem in such a way that this guy looked like a hero in front of everyone else. Love takes responsibility without taking credit. That's the second lesson that comes to those disciples and to us if we'll open our heart for it. Without any concern for receiving some kind of reward or praise, love does a good thing for another person. The one who loves like Jesus is not interested in making himself look good at all. He only wants to make other people look good. Do you think that's beautiful? I suspect that you've seen the opposite. I once knew a woman who loved to develop friendships so she could help other people, but always the ones she befriended were needy. It's true that she loved to help, but not because it was good for the others, but really because it was good for her. It made her feel significant to have people depending on her, so all of her friends were really just projects. Everyone knew that she was giving and selfless and helpful because she made sure everyone knew that, constantly reminding people of her generosity. And this meant that the ones that she helped always felt indebted to her, like they owed her. She took responsibility for people and she took credit for helping them. And that is just not Jesus' style. And it shouldn't be ours either. Think of it now. Love doesn't attach any strings to the help that it gives. It doesn't keep track, holding it over your head. It doesn't seek praise for the good it does. It doesn't use 
you and your need to build itself up. Love takes responsibility without wanting the credit. Jesus is our guide here too. If we'll love others like he loves, then we'll love without any thought of earning reward or praise for ourselves. We'll do good things for others in secret like Jesus does here at the wedding. At the church that I was a part of in Red Bank, a young woman needed a car. She had taken a step of faith and moved across the country to start a coffee shop and everything that could go wrong went wrong for her, including her car breaking down completely. There was a family in our church who heard of this need and despite not having much themselves, he was a graduate student and she taught at a small charter school. They gathered everything they could and they bought her a car and made sure that she received it without any awareness of who gave it to her. I knew about it. They made me promise never to tell. That's what Jesus' style of love looks like. That's what Jesus has done uh, for this bridegroom at the wedding. It's what he's done for all of us. And now, here's where we have to use our imaginations again. It's what he invites us to do if we will accept his new commandment, if we will love others like he loves us. Ask this question, how can I use the power I have to help address the problems that others have? Even though I didn't cause the problem, how might I come up with a solution? Think of your family members and their struggles uh, or your friends or your coworkers or the people that you know in your neighborhood. Maybe you've seen a problem in the world that you personally are uniquely equipped to address. When you receive Jesus' love, you will want to turn it around and give that love to others and you'll want to do that like he does, taking responsibility graciously and quietly. How can you do that? Uh, try to let uh, some thoughts come into your mind and be practical here. Our whole church should be thinking like this too. Renaissance has plenty of gifts and that means we have responsibilities for addressing problems in the world. How can we do that? How can we let others' problems become our concern like we see Jesus here without wanting others to praise us or without taking credit for the solutions that we enable. That's what love looks like when it is love like Jesus loves. That's what we learn from this first miracle at the wedding in Cana. Now, John explains the outcome uh, at the end of his report. It's in verse 11. Here's what he says. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the glory of Jesus. It is to care about other people's problems and to work at fixing them quietly. And when disciples see that, then they believe in Jesus. That means, first of all, they choose to trust that his love that they see here is also for them. And that's what you're invited to right now. To trust that Jesus has determined to make your problems his concern to free you from sin, and then to ask permission to be involved in every trouble that you face. You are called to accept that. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. And then it also means to obey him, to ask in each moment you find yourself, how can I love others like Jesus has loved me? One more thought. Uh, This is related 
to the detail of this miracle. And I tack this one on because it just makes me smile. There were six stone jars. That's 20 or 30 gallons each filled to the brim, which is about 750 bottles of really good wine. That means a much longer celebration with plenty of light-hearted joy and gladness. And this teaches me that love uses the power that it has to bring joy. Because there's not enough joy in the world, we need love like that. Love keeps a party going by turning someone's shame into celebration. Think about that. Now, there is joy in the salvation that Jesus gives freely to you. And you should let yourself feel the happiness that comes with being freed by Jesus. You have been loved and given a brand new beginning. You are completely free to let it, everything behind you go and then embrace the present and the future with the joy that comes from knowing that the Savior loves you, that the creator of the whole world cares about you. If we are going to follow Jesus' example, then we are also going to prioritize love that brings joy like his did. Again, ask, how can I use what I have not just to help, but to make someone smile? That's a question of love. How can I turn grief where I see it into gladness? That's a question of love. Where can I bring some light into that dark place? That is a question of love. If Jesus loved like this, that is a question of love. Where can I push away sadness with a celebration? Each one of these is a question for you to ask and to take seriously. If you want to grow with Jesus, if you want to meet him and walk along with him, ask this question and then move forward with whatever answer he gives you. And then, and then you will be loving the people around you as Jesus has loved you. Let's pray for his help to do this. God, we thank you so much for the story of the wedding at Cana and for the miracle that Jesus performed there. We thank you for the simplicity of his instruction to the disciples and therefore to us as well, that we are responsible for loving others just as Jesus has loved us. Our hearts are glad when they remember that we have been loved by Jesus. We thank you so much for the love that you've given to us freely. We also are grateful that the instructions you give us are so clear and so simple that we should love others in the way that you have loved us. We ask for eyes to see the problems around us that we should set aside and ignore and then also eyes to see the problems that you are inviting us to make our own concern. And then give us the power to help as we see Jesus helping in this story. Take away the desire to receive credit or praise for the good things that we do, but instead help us be generous and kind and gracious with humility and without any desire for a reward. And then we ask that every act of love that we ourselves take responsibility for would increase joy and more and more we would be able to celebrate as your people. We thank you for your kindness and for your love we thank you for meeting us through this story. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen.